find an informative podcast all about training working dogs? Look no further than the LWDG Pod Dog. This weekly show is hosted by me, Joe Parrott, founder of the Ladies Working Dog Group. And I chat to experienced trainers and experts in the field who will give you helpful tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or you've been working with dogs for years, this podcast will have something for you. So pull up a chair, pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to LWDG Pod Dog. Let us help you build a better bond with your best friend. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of LWDG Pod Dog. This week we are going to be speaking about the fact that every dog is unique and how you can learn to work with a dog in front of you. This week our LWDG group experts and featured experts are out in force so we're going to just take a moment for them to introduce themselves to you. So if we start with you Claire. Hi, uh, my name's Claire Denya and I'm from Family Dog Services based in Maidstone in Kent. Hi, I'm Sam Thornycroft-Taylor and I run Langley Dog Gun Dogs based in Gloucestershire. Hi, I'm Rose Sutton. I run Companion Dog Solutions based in West Sussex. Hi, I'm Emma Stevens. I run Cunning Shot Dog Training, which is based both in the East Midlands and in Cumbria. Hi, I'm Abby Reid and I run River Lily Working Dogs based in Hertfordshire. Hello there, I'm Nikki Kenny. I'm one half of Whistle and Wag Dog Training based in Suffolk. Hi, I'm Gemma Martin, the other half of Whistle and Wag Dog Training in Suffolk. Thank you all for joining us, ladies, for this podcast. I'm sure we're going to come up with a lot of information for the listeners. Um, This is something that's always chatted about within our group and comes from the experts themselves, is this concept of making sure we consistently work with the dog in front of us. So I'm going to start with Claire. Claire, why do we have to work with the dog in front of us? So what we have to remember is every dog is unique. Every dog has its own personality, its own strengths, its own weaknesses that we can obviously build on. They're not robots and we need to work with that dog in front of us to get the very best out of that dog. Yeah, I, I totally agree with what Claire's just said. And I think it's it's really interesting to watch when you've got somebody that's got two dogs and they're dual handling, actually, that they've got to change very, very quickly between those two behaviours to be able to match the dog that's actually in front of them that they're handling at that time and then swap back again to the different dog that they're handling. So you'll probably see it more when people go and get a second dog that actually every single dog's different and they need handling appropriately to the personality that you've got in front of you. You make a really valid point there, Emma. Um, Sam, if we come to you. I was just going to say similar to what Emma said. Obviously, she started with saying about um, dual handling. A lot of people that I've met that have come to me for lessons over time, I hear them say, my first dog was never like this. Or my second dog has got such a different personality. And it is exactly what we're discussing, finding out what that dog's unique personality is and bringing the best out of it what worked for your first dog or even your first and your second dog there's a high percent chance it's not going to work for your third dog as well so you've got to change your technique um, to get the best yeah and I think that's also really important why we always stress that it's really important to work with the dogs together and separately to so to spend time with both the the dogs that you're bringing in as your new dog and your older existing dog spend time actually training them separately and train them together because again the personalities might change when they're being dual handled as well and then you've got to combat that effect into it as well as their personalities separate when you're single handling handling them as well and then there's obviously that problem i suppose why most people are told to do 
the opposite to what I've done where you've got litter mates is if you've got two that are coming through that at the same time is that where most of this problem lies yeah I mean it it can lie with with two dogs of a very similar age but it can also lie with a kind of what we would call only child syndrome a little bit where you've got an older dog that's that's solely had your focus and your attention and has only ever been trained just by you there and the only steadiness it's had has been from other dogs maybe in a group situation being handled by other people and then suddenly that steadiness is now its own owner is handling a second dog and you've got to juggle that kind of traits as well as the personalities of the two individual dogs as well if you've got a very headstrong dog versus a very very soft dog you've got to manage your expectations and your training abilities based on the dog that you're handling at that moment in time um so when we talk about getting to know the dog you're working with what do we mean by that you know to a new person when they say work with a dog in front of you that seems to make sense but 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 how exactly do we build that relationship and get to work with this specific dog so what people need to realize that the dog you had yesterday might not be the dog you have today so you need to actually train the dog in front of you on that day not the dog that you wish you had or the dog that you had yesterday so he might be feeling different you know on different days or the wind might be in a different direction or who knows you know, what goes through their mind all the time. So train the dog that's actually sat in front of you, that specific training session. So um, when we say about sort of working with a dog in front of you, a lot of the time we're meaning find out what that dog's individual strengths and weaknesses are, what makes that dog tick. Does it have a massive drive for retrieving? Would it rather stick its nose in a hedge? Um, and you can tailor your training session and therefore strengthen your bond and your understanding with the dog, depending on what it prefers to do and therefore how you work your training session. You wouldn't ask a dog that hated retrieving to spend 40 minutes retrieving because then it would get to the end of the training session thinking, no, not enjoying this, can't stand it, don't want to do it again. And your relationship with each other wouldn't then strengthen. There's some fantastic points there. And just to add to that, because we we just talked a little bit about the dog in front of you on the day that Abby was saying about and what Sam just said about with with some dogs enjoy hunting and things like that. I think also sometimes people actually get quite hung up on breed specifics and forget about the dog's individual personality. So having three Labradors, they're all completely different and motivated by different things and they all have their off days um so just because you've got a specific breed don't fall into that trap of thinking that just because you've got a spaniel hunting has to be the main driver for that particular dog just because you've got a labrador don't fall into the trap of thinking that dog's going to be the most perfect most natural retriever i work with plenty of retriever breeds that are reluctant retrievers so just don't fall into that trap always get to know the dog and its motivators so leading on from what Claire said about motivation, obviously dogs enjoy different things as well. So we've got to look at that when we're looking at what we're doing to reward our dogs. Um, some dogs will like touch, some will like treats, some will like to be released on a ball or something like that. Um, for example, I've got brother and sister cockers. One hates being touched while we're working and one loves it. So it's adapting what you're doing with the dog Um, and making sure what you're doing is actually rewarding to that dog in particular yeah and actually following on from from what Gem said as well with that I then have kind of a a scale of of things as well so say it's a very food driven dog 
in a very unstimulating environment with commands that it's very used to, I may only use maybe kibble as a reward. Whereas if then I've actually upped the environment or maybe expected a little bit more of them or asked a bit more of them, I might change that and up it to a slightly more high value treat and things like that. And the same with toys and physical praise and things like that. You can, you can up it and lower it on a, on kind of a sliding scale based on, again, the dog in front of you that day as well how how focused is it in front of you when you've asked it to sit is it already looking around and things like that and you're going right okay I'm going to need some high value stuff here or actually is it sitting and concentrating and you can kind of um lower down the tone of of what reward you're choosing to use that day I'm just going to follow on from what Abby was saying about the the dog it's, it's the same dog but a different day I guess I would say don't be afraid to pop that dog away in the crate for five minutes give it a bit of a break um, and then bring it back out again because sometimes you get a very different dog. That's certainly what happened to me the other day with my cocker. He was just through the roof, popped him away, did something different, then came back out again, a completely different dog after sort of five, ten minutes break doing something else. You've all made some really excellent points there. And as a young trainer, when I first started out, I really didn't have sort of lots of different ways of training my dog. I, I was still learning the first way. So obviously sometimes you have a dog that maybe your one way that you're learning may not be suiting, the, the lessons you're not going, it's just not gelling between all of you. What? How do we deal with that way we can teach ourselves more things to help the dog in front of us? I think it comes from being able to think outside the box um, and being able to pull up on various different techniques or exercises that you may have used in the past but pull them apart and use maybe a piece from one exercise and a piece to another exercise and then piece you know make a new exercise a new puzzle so uh, I'm currently working with a dog that we're really struggling to get it to understand the concept of stopping on the way to a retrieve and we've tried every method I have ever used and several more that we've come up with beside. And we still cannot persuade this dog that she really wants to stop on the way to a retrieve. She's hot headed. She's desperate to go. So what we started teaching it today was to stop on the way back from a retrieve. And I have never needed to do this. And in fact, I've several times have said, why would you ever do this? But what I'm hoping with this dog is it will teach her she still gets the reward for the retrieve. There is a reason for doing it. So I've gone completely out of the box, way out of my comfort zone. And I'm teaching something I have never, ever done before in the hope that then it's working with the dog in front of me um, and will get positive results. Yeah, completely agree with what Sam's saying. I think sometimes you've got to be quite brave about trying something you've never, ever done before. No one has had your dog before. And although lots of dogs will learn in a really similar way, or there'll be a few a small set of key ways that we will teach a certain um, new exercise or new lesson, there will always be a dog that won't fit quite into those things. So I think, yeah, being really brave about just trying something, even if it seems a bit silly and having a go, because what can really go wrong? If you try it and it doesn't work, then you can move on to something else. But it's usually worth the try and just being a little bit inventive and creative. What you just said, Rose, was absolutely fantastic. Because I know that when we start out, we tend to think that if we've done something wrong we're almost going to break the dog you know that if we we press a foot wrong it's going to be a really bad consequences so what you're saying is don't be scared to just try something because that might be the answer you're both looking for 
Yeah, I think sometimes you do. Like um, Sam was saying before, thinking outside the box a little bit. And um, you know your dog best, better than anybody else. And yeah, just being brave to try something that you haven't seen somebody else do. I think as well, you need to be very mindful of if something isn't going right, really step back and reflect why it's not going right. Why is the dog continuously failing? What are they not understanding? And why are they not understanding it? Which I think means actually sometimes you kind of have to kind of psychologically analyze your dog which can be quite stressful if you don't know a lot about it or you've you've only got your first dog um in which case then being able to find a trainer that also is prepared to change their ways and not go well I've only ever taught he'll work this way and this way should work for all dogs in front of me actually going right this dog is clearly not healing it doesn't want to be next to you what can we do to change that relationship and change that bond so that that dog does want to be with you and then we can find what motivates that dog to want to be in that position to actually and actually understand then the vocal command that you're giving in that heel work position, for example. Um, so I think it's really important to actually, when you've got a dog failing, really sit back and reflect, why is it not understanding it? And that can be actually in the session that you've got that dog in front of you. Or it can be when you go back home and reflect it later, later on and decide, actually, this dog didn't understand it because actually I was putting too much pressure on it or we were in the wrong environment and things like that. So that you can really analyze your own sessions afterwards. Yeah. And I just sort of like to add to all that is your your gun dog has not actually read the gun dog training manual. He doesn't know that you're trying something new that's not in the book. So I always say to people, you know, have a go at anything. As long as you make it fun, you make it rewarding, your dog will just think it's actually a brand new game and it's fabulous. And you could be standing there going, oh, my goodness, this is this is probably not going to work in the long run. But it won't matter because your dog thinks it's fun and you just never try that that again, that little episode, that little exercise that you tried. So just have a go, make it fun. And who knows, it might work. So just adding on to what Emma was saying about reflecting, um, sometimes it's really good to actually record your sessions as well. Um, So you can look back at what you were doing and it gives you a sort of insight of what your body language was doing that you might not have been aware of. Um, So that's also a good tool for reflecting on. I think this is one of the great things about the community, the, the ladies working dog group. You've got this amazing bunch of experts, group experts, featured experts that we all come from very different backgrounds and we all have slightly different ways of doing things, but we all carry the same sort of ethos about our training and we're all very open minded. And I think so often that's the scary thing, specifically in the gundog training sport, is a lot of trainers are very much it's my way or the highway. You either do it this way or you're out. Whereas we're all very much working together as a team, we're sharing ideas, we're sharing concepts so that we can help people to actually get to the end result with their dog, which otherwise they might not achieve because they might think, well, this this isn't working. This one technique that this gun dog trainer says should work doesn't work for my dog. My dog must be broken. So instead of working with the dog in front of them to get the result, they blame the dog instead of thinking, well, actually, we haven't really looked outside the box. We haven't really tried to work with this dog. I think as well, it's really easy to think my dog didn't complete the task, therefore we're a failure. And in actual fact, that was just a lesson. It didn't work, but it was actually a lesson that day that 
that technique on that dog doesn't work. It didn't, it didn't get the desired effect that you wanted. So you've then got to come up with a different lesson for it and hope that that works. So I think the biggest thing is as well is don't think failure means they're never going to do it. It just means they didn't do it that day. Some of the things you said then, ladies, is is absolutely spot on. Um, clear the points you made about our community. I was literally thinking about this last night and about what, what it is that actually makes our community work. And I think it is being open to those different ideas. Definitely think over, what is this, coming up for seven years now of us having the LWDG group, I've learned loads of different bits that I've pulled in, like I, Emma taught me about play sports and, and Sam has taught me stuff when I've gone to lessons. And, and in some way, every single one of you has taught me something. When I've watched the masterclasses, I watch them the same as the community do. And I learn so much from those masterclasses. But I do think the more we learn, the more capable we are of, of looking for different ideas because we st- we have started to see there is potential to do many different things and still get a, a result that we want. Um, I suppose a lot of people do get frustrated if they're having difficulty in, in moving the dog forward and they're not really thinking of ways that they can do it. So how is it that we can be very much tailored in our approach to just one dog? You know, it is very easy to judge them by our other dogs, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I it's not... Um uncommon a lot of people know that I have quite a lot of dogs and it's it's very easy for me to judge the ones that I've trained and are out working to ones that are coming up and coming underneath them especially also when they're related as well um so for me I do sometimes have to like in a training mid-training session give myself a good talking to and go look this is not your five-year-old experience picking up dog this is a two-year-old inexperienced dog it's not going to get it right every time like your other one does um you need to kind of lower your expectations manage the environment better and deal with the dog in front of you um and although a lot of them due to just relationship and obviously then being bred by me and then trained by me means that most of them follow my kind of roughly what I would do training wise sometimes they completely throw a curveball at me and go actually no I'm not like my dad at all I'm completely different and you need to then figure out how you're going to train me so that you get the best out of me So I think it's really important if you've got a second dog or you move on to multiple dogs, treat it as a complete individual. Don't don't try and compare it. And it's really easy to do, especially if you've had a very easy journey with your first one and then your second one comes in a little bit difficult. You kind of go, oh, my God, what did I do? I've I've done I must have done something different. In actual fact, you might have actually done everything exactly the same. It just didn't suit that dog that you were doing it with. so yeah, just think about the dog that you've got in front of you and don't try and compare it because you'll have an easier journey if you don't compare it to other dogs. Yeah, absolutely. Following on from what Emma said as well, I think it's sometimes really easy to forget the work that you've put in with an older dog that's trained already um, or a dog that you had previously or the dog that your parents had or a friend had or that forget or didn't see all the work that went into that dog so that when you've got a young dog, and we try to brush them on and think, well, they should be at this stage by now. It's so, so easy to do that. And um, I often hear from people say, I've had um, I've had seven Labradors in my life. We've got this one now and things are different. But you can also be at a completely different stage in your life. Your environment and your lifestyle can be different. And all those things can play a part also in the way that you're approaching training your dog. Of course, the other fact is that this is a completely different dog. Um, but yeah, I think it can be quite easy to kind of forget. 
oh, actually, all those hours I spent out with that older dog training them and how good they are now. So some what the ladies just said actually just gave me a real aha moment. And I think it probably will with, for a lot of the people listening. It's just the end of the shoot season. And it was only a few days ago I said to John, well, I don't know why Rose suddenly has forgotten what a straight line is. Indy hasn't. Well, the difference might be that Indy's nearly 10 years old and has been doing this a really long time. And this was first, Rose's first working full working season. And she's had a ball. I mean, she's been incredible. You know, and although I use different, uh, different uh, commands and different techniques for working her on different kinds of days, you know, she's young, so that's it. And it wasn't until them ladies just said that that I just had a light bulb moment and went, yeah, I've just done that myself. Well done, Claire. <laughs> but that's really lovely to hear as well because we always think, you now when we look at the experts, we think, God, oh, they've got this sussed and, and we are mere mortals in the shadows trying to, to match up with them. Um, at least sometimes I definitely feel like that. Um. But there's also that thing that we can have where not only are we comparing our dog to our other dogs, but we can compare our dog to the other dogs, like you said, in a shoot or in our group training. We can look at them and say, why is my dog, who's the same age, not doing the same as that dog? So this applies to that as well, doesn't it? Just don't compare your dog to any other dog. I quite often hear um, from clients that I see or people that I speak to, they'll sort of say, well, my neighbour's got a dog that's just a week younger and it's doing far more than my dog is doing now. Or I went to puppy class and mine was the only one that couldn't recall past the distraction. But there is no guarantee. You you can't tell me or you can't say that you're not doing differently to what those other owners are doing or that you're doing exactly the same as what those other owners are doing. Your situation is going to be different just as much as the dog is a different dog. Emma said earlier that we needed to sort of psychologically analyse the dog in front of us and work to its strengths in that way. And Jem touched on it when she said about body language. I think we also need to be critically aware of ourselves and we need to psychologically analyse ourselves as much as we are the dog. The chances are if we did something this morning and it went absolutely swimmingly and then we went and had the most awful day at work and we try to replicate that in the afternoon it's not going to go exactly how it did this morning because we're not in a good place and who's to say that the dog hasn't had a rough day as well at home you know you might have sat there going well come on where's me lunch and dad doesn't come back to let me out um so I think there's so many factors to consider when we are thinking about the dog that is in front of us and we're tailoring the training to that yeah I think it's really um good what Sam's just said is that like we've got when we've bred dogs and they've gone on to different homes the owners have then obviously they when if they've trained with us have then compared them maybe to the pup that we've kept and that's really really difficult because that that my dog that I've kept is in a completely different environment to the person that that pup went to um and to put it into perspective we've we bred a litter of spring spaniels just before lockdown and they are all coming up to two years old and they have now all been out on a shoot but they all progressed at different times. But by the end of this season, which would be their second year, every single one of that litter have been out on a shoot. So they've all achieved the end goal, just at completely different levels because 
their environment, their trainer, their handler knowledge was completely different amongst all five of them that went to different homes and their drive was different. Their motivation was different. Two of them are picking up dogs. One's a test, test and trialing dog. Two of them are beating dogs. So even from that respect, they've all gone into different roles as well, purely just because they've got in different environmental factors, different handlers, and they're different dogs themselves in front of them, even though they were bred by the same person and they all had the same initial eight-week upbringing. The minute they left, but even before that, they all had different personalities. So I think it's really important when you actually even go right, strip it right back to actually looking at a litter they've initially even at at six to eight weeks old they've all got completely different personalities and that's what you should be looking at when you're training that dog but I think the dog in front of you if it's um if it's really challenging it actually makes you a better trainer and a better handler because all the different things that it's helping you to think about think outside the box the different tools and methods it's making you uh consider makes you a much better trainer than a dog that if it was all plain sailing and, and it was easy running all the time yeah, and that's a really good point, Nikki. In fact, I think as we start to wrap this podcast up for this week, I think the value of this episode is is massive because it is very easy for us to forget that our dogs are very, very individual in their styles, in their emotions, in their attitudes. So I'd like to thank every single one of you for doing this podcast this week. It's been absolutely excellent. The five points that we've sort of covered, and if you're looking for the show notes on what we've covered, please see below the podcast. But I think they were all really, really important points for us to take away and to almost embed in ourselves as we go forward, handling and training our dogs. So thank you all for your help this week. Thank you to the listeners for coming back, listening to us week after week. We are very close to hitting 10,000 downloads in just 20 weeks. And that is global, uh, most of them in the UK, but many, many other countries listening in. Um, We are so thrilled you love it. And we love seeing your photos that you share, showing us how you're listening in, sharing with us on Instagram at Ladies Working Dogs or tag us in your posts on Facebook. Until next week, have a fantastic week and enjoy training. Thank you for listening to LWDG Pod Dog with me, Joe Parrott. Now we all know training a dog takes time, energy and patience, but our lives can be really, really busy. Don't worry, the LWDG has got you covered. Join us for our free planning workshop where we'll show you how to use short, 10-minute training sessions each day to fast-forward your dog's education. Our experts have years of experience in training dogs and will help you get started on the right foot. Register now and start making progress with your furry friend today. Go to our Facebook page, The Ladies Working Dog Group, and click on the pinned post or visit www.thelwdg.com. Thank you.